Well, as you know, as a, as a church, we're not charismatic in our doctrine uh, at all. Uh, we strongly believe that the sign gifts have all passed uh, away. They're no longer in effect during this present dispensation of, of grace, during this present uh, age, all except for maybe one. And it's that one that I want us to talk about this morning, that one sign gift not even sure you can call it a gift, but it definitely is a sign, as we're going to see this morning, that you love the Lord Jesus, that you know Him as Savior. You understand that He is Lord of all. Uh, the sign gifts uh, were exactly that. They were sign gifts. They were part of the prophetic program that indicated to Israel that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. They were signed gifts that were given to let uh, those of Israel know, the Jews know, that the promised Messiah uh, was, was there, that the time of his visitation was upon them. So these signed gifts were exactly what the prophet said that the Messiah would be doing as he presented himself to the nation of Israel as their King of kings, their Lord of lords, as their anointed one, as their, their Messiah. Then those sign gifts were a sign to the early church that uh, there had been a change. So all through, whether it be the tongues or the healing and all the different gifts, were signs uh, either to Israel that the kingdom of heaven was at hand or that there had been a change in program and that those signs that were uh, for Israel to understand Here was this early church, here was this apostle to the Gentile performing those same signs, those same wonders were carrying out in order to let them know that there indeed had been a change in God's program of the fact that the Gentiles were being saved apart from the nation of Israel. And so the sign gifts were very, very important. Uh, But like I said, what we're going to look at this morning, I'm not sure is actually a gift but it definitely is a sign. Actually, our Lord tells the disciples that based on this sign, that all men would know that you are my disciples. Turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 35. John 13, verse 35. The Lord tells his disciples, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Now that's a truth that cuts across all denominations, uh, all uh, dispensations, I meant to say. All dispensations is this principle from Genesis to Revelation This principle concerning God's love and God's desire to reconcile man to himself, it all has to do with with God's love for us and our love that we're to have for one another. Matter of fact, in the verse before that, Christ tells the disciples, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. Something the Lord Jesus was telling the disciples that everyone's going to know that you're my disciple. They're going to know that you belong to me, that I love you and you love me based on your love that you have for one another. Now, I think it's interesting. In the 20 plus years that we've been here, uh, I've had a a person come to me and tell me that they don't really want to go to this church because we're the friendliest church they've ever been in, and that just seems strange to them. Literally had someone come and say, you people just love each other too much. You're just too friendly. You're too welcoming. And then I've had someone come and say, that's the most unfriendly church I've ever been in in my life. Now, of those two, for a reason for people not to come, Uh, let's keep it where we're the friendliest, most loving church that anybody has ever been to. But that is, that that is, that's true. Two people. One, can't go there, you're too friendly. I can't, can't go there, you're not friendly enough. So what we're going to agree to do is abide by God's Word. Amen? And do what God's Word tells us to do as we try to reach the lost and let people know that, that God loves them 
And one of the first steps in making sure they know that God loves them is that we love them and that we share the gospel with them. And as we demonstrate that love, as we make sure people understand that God loves them, we need to understand that love never, ever fails. It never fails. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. See, you're not going to go wrong by demonstrating that love. That's why I think it's important that we express our love one for another. That's why it's, it's important that, that we greet one another in an affectionate, kindly, loving manner. That when people walk through those doors, they know that they are loved here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship. That we are grateful that they're here. I had someone this morning talk to me about making sure that, that we, we have... And I think that was, I think it's, it's of God that person came up to me this morning to talk about uh, in, uh, uh, reminding the church what we need to do to make all the new visitors feel comfortable in love when they come. And I was talking to him, and I was going, okay, we're about to do that, okay? We're about to do that. We're going to talk about how important it is when new people are visiting, when people come to and sit in these pews to hear the word Uh, We want to make sure that they take home something that's going to cause them to grow in Christ from the Word of God. But But we also want to make sure when they leave here, it's like, boy, I get more hugs there than I've ever had before. I had more people shake my hand. My arm is just worn out from all the people shaking my my hand. And I know people say, well, I'm kind of shy. That's okay, but just don't be shy here. Be shy any place and everywhere else. Just don't be shy here. Even if it's just, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you being here. And if you see somebody visiting, make sure they know that you want them back, that you want them worshiping with us, and if there's any way that we can minister to them or their family, we want to do that. If they leave here, leave them shaking their head thinking, wow, I just got loved on there from that church. They're carrying out God's business. They're carrying out Christ's commandment is that we love one another, that all men know what what He expects of us is we love one another. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in one, I said we, uh, we believe that the signed gifts have, uh, have passed away. There's no need for them during this dispensation of the grace of God. Um, we have the complete Word of God. But 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. In other words, if you don't have love, you're just noise. It's just noise. It's just clanging, the things that you say. And people, I think, can tell. That's why we want the, the, the love that they experience here to be genuine. And we're going to talk about especially three types of love in just a second. And we want to make sure that the love that we, we share and the love that we express is the love that he's talking about, about here. But though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. It's a pretty interesting verse when you stop and think about it. You know, the world kind of gets wrapped up in, well, let's, let's demonstrate that we care by food and, and feeding and, and, and housing and, and doing all of those type of things. But if it's not done in God's love, it's not profiting anything. Verse 4, love suffers long and is kind. 
Charity envies not. Charity does not puff itself up. Uh, it, does, it, it is not arrogant. It does not behave, it doth not behave itself unseemly. It seeks it's not her own. It's not easily provoked. It thinks no evil. It rejoices not in iniquity, but it rejoices in truth. It beareth all things. It believeth all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. Love never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall all vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. What the scripture is talking about here is when the early church, they needed those sign gifts. The gift of prophecy, the gift of knowledge, the gift of tongues. They all went together in order for when they were gathered together there, they were able to preach the word of God according to that mystery that was being revealed to Paul. You have to understand that when they would stand and, and, and want to share the truth of what God was doing with the Gentiles, that they couldn't say, all right, turn to Romans 8.28. They didn't have the Word of God. So when they would gather together, and as they were pronouncing, remember Paul had never even been to the church in Colossae. He had never even met those people, yet they were standing and holding services, and there was, there was truth coming to them, and Paul wrote to them. But as they would stand, and they would have their worship service, as they would stand to hear the Word of God, the wonderful words of life, what they, were, what they had were those gifts, if you will, those sign gifts that indeed what was happening was of God and it was okay to embrace those things. They would have the gift of tongues and there somebody would, would speak in tongues and there would be an interpreter there. They would have the gift of knowledge of what God was saying, prophecy, that preaching, that foretelling. And they had those gifts so somebody could say, Amen, that's exactly right. Oh, no, no, that's not right. Yes, that's right. What, that, that all went together. And the thing that brought them all together was that love for God and love for one another and the love for His truth. So those sign gifts at that time were so important in getting the message of God, God's redeeming grace out so they could understand what was going on. Because again, they couldn't, Paul couldn't say, or those, those pastors in those churches, they couldn't say, okay, open up your Bible. I mean, they, they had the Old Testament, but they were recognizing those Pauline distinctives. They were recognizing that those Pauline epistles as being, as being the Word of God. But what they were sharing were these things. And so when it says that in verse 8 of chapter uh, 13, charity never fails or love never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Why? Why? Verse 9 says, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Remember, this is one of the early books. They didn't have the complete Word of God. We, proph- we know in part, we prophesy in part. Um, they didn't have the complete Word of God. So they couldn't, they couldn't stand and preach the whole, the whole revealed Scripture. But look at verse 10. What they knew in part was that revelation of the mystery. But verse 10, but when that which is perfect or complete, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. When that, it's neuter. See, the Holy Spirit could have very easily said, when he who is perfect is come. But it doesn't do it. See, God wants us to know what his word says. He wants us to understand his word. So it made sure that it says when something is complete, then that which is in part is what they were doing, those sign gifts, that should all be done away with. But Paul didn't leave it there. He, again, he wanted to make sure that they understood what he was talking about. But when that which is complete or perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, 
I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. That's an interesting way to express that and explain that, that you, know, you, you, you want to Malachi or to Mattiah or to even some of our younger kids to Opal and, and Vernon, you, you can't go and, and, and try to explain to them E equals MC squared. You can't even explain that to me. I don't even understand that. But, but see, that's how, there are complicated things that you wouldn't begin to try to explain to Mattiah, are there? You want to make sure there are things that they would understand and kind of bring them along. And that's what Paul is saying here. You know, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. But when I became a man, I put away those childish things. And that's what's coming. Because in Colossians 1.25, put Colossians 1.25 up there, Tim. At least I hope that's the right scripture. Wherefore, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to do what? You know what that word fulfill is? Complete. It's the exact same word when that which is perfect, when that which is complete, Christ, uh, Paul says, God has given to me to fulfill or bring to completion the word of God. That full revelation of the mystery. That's what he's talking about there. And so when I was a child, I spoke as a child. Look at verse 12. For now we see through a glass darkly. But then, when then? When then? When that which is perfect, when that which is complete is come. Right now, though, when they would stood up they, when, and to preach, they didn't have a clear understanding of the full revelation of the mystery. They didn't have a full understanding because Paul received those special revelations it, as progressively during his life over a 30-year period of time. Paul received those truths as Israel was being blinded, as Israel was being set aside. Uh, uh, there was a time when the Gentiles were being used of God to bring uh, Israel to a, a point of jealousy. Until it finally came where God uh, uh, completely set them aside to the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. But Paul is, is saying that though we see through a glass darkly, then, remember, they, they, they would have a, a shiny mirror. I mean, they, they wouldn't have a shiny mirror. They would just have kind of a, a, a shine that brass where there would be kind of a, an image. Have you ever looked into brass? where it was just not a real shiny image, but you, you kind of see it darkly, but you can't really tell everything, all of the highlights, everything that's part of that, that image. You couldn't quite make it out. It's what Paul's talking about in the Word. One of these days we're going to do a study on the Word now. Because I've got to tell you how important that Word is in the Scripture. For now we see through a glass darkly. But then, then when? When that which is perfect is come. That's the whole context there. When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part is going to be done away with. For now we see see through a glass darkly. But then, face to face, now I know in part, he hadn't received the full revelation. God was still giving him that. For now... For now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am also known. That has nothing to do with heaven. People want to use that scripture. Yeah, we're going to know one another in heaven. I think we are going to know one another in heaven, but that's a whole different topic. That scripture is not pertaining to when we get to heaven, we're going to know even as we're known. The whole point here is Paul is saying right now, it's like looking at our image and trying to under, make out what all these details are through this glass darkly. But when that which is perfect has come, it's just going to be boom, right there, face to face. We're going to know it as it actually is. And Paul said in Colossians 1.25 again, that God had called him in order to make, to fulfill, to bring to completion the word of God. And that's what we have. So as we study all of these, uh, these doctrinal truths, the one sign gift that, that went right through all of that, I really didn't intend to get off on all that, but it is good theology. But it's, 
God's saying, all of that's going to that's fa- fade. That's going to fail. But love never fails as the Holy Spirit moved on, on Paul. Verse 13, but now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity or love. What kind of love is that? It's agape. See, what is needed in this present dispensation in order to share the gospel and spread the gospel is not these sign gifts, not these indicators. What God says, all men are going to know that you're my disciples. How? By the love you have one for another, how you express that love, how you share that love. And that's absolutely imperative that we understand that truth. And there's no better place to witness the love and the care that we are to show to one another than in 1 Thessalonians. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. What an amazing book this is when it comes to God's love and our love for one another and how we're to demonstrate that love for one another. You say, wait a minute, I thought the book of Thessalonians, both 1 and 2, had everything to do with the rapture had everything to do with the catching away of the church, the body of Christ. Well, those books do have a lot to do with the rapture of the church. But I think the case can be made. It's because of the love that we are to have for one another, the care that we're to have for one another, that we tell people, our Lord comes. Amen? I think it's all tied together. Our Lord comes, and because we know He's coming, Because we believe God's Word, we tell people that He is coming, and they need to get ready. 1 Thessalonians, we see Paul's attitude and demeanor toward these young Christians. Remember, this is the first book, this is the first epistle, this is the first letter that he wrote to a group of believers, to a church. And boy, were these believers under persecution. And he writes to them, checking on them, wanting to know how things were going in this church in Thessalonica. Remember, he was, it was, we're going to say, he was pretty much run out of town. Just let's go there now anyway. Go to Acts. Go to Acts 17. Acts chapter 17. The first part of this is when you know, Paul, and they, they go to, to Thessalonica, and there are those that believed, but there are a lot of, they went to the synagogue, and there were those that believed. There were those who didn't believe, and those that didn't believe got really rowdy, got really mad. And they accused Paul and, and his gang there of being those that turned the world upside down. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, if we could ever become a church like that, a group of folks like that, boy, they, hey, forget the world. Let's just, what about Dogtown? What about turning Dogtown upside down for God? Look at verse 6 of uh, Acts 17. When they found them not, they, they drew Jason and certain brethren into the ruler of the city, saying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. So they were... They were going to beat Paul. They were going to, who knows what they were going to do. But Paul and, and his crew, they had slipped, slipped out. And they went to Berea. And there, those in Berea, they received the things that they heard Paul and the others teach. And that's where we get the word Berean. Hey, be a Berean. Because they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things be so. These things are causing the Thessalon- Thessalonians to get all huffed up and mad and, 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 and angry, the Bereans received it and said, well, tell us about those things. You know, that's, that's interesting. Tell us about those things. And so that's where, you know, we, we talk about, be a Berean. Search the Scriptures daily. May you be a Berean. May you search the Scriptures daily to see if the things that you're hearing from this church, from this pastor, are so. That's all we ask. I, I don't ask anyone to believe what I tell you. I ask you to search the Scriptures and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart. But search the Scriptures. Don't search the tradition of men. You search the Scriptures to see if these things be so. And so the 
but it's this church in Thessalonica that Paul's writing back to after he barely escapes. And boy, were they, they put up with a lot there. And so here, what is Paul's attitude toward those young believers? Well, back to 1 Thessalonians. Let's start with verse 1. Let's go with verse 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's the problem. I never know really where to start because it's all just such good stuff. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance into you that it was not in vain. It's not useless. But even after that, we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Well, that's what we were just talking about. They were run out of town. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which tries our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse, nurse cherishes her children. This is the first indication we get of how the church, the body of Christ, and, and the leaders of that church are to treat one another with that mindset as a mother that nourishes and loves on her children and brings them to her breast and cares for them. See, that's what God's Word tells us that, that we're to do. This uh, is a picture of how we as a church need to care for one another, especially those young believers like these people were. He uses that allegory. As a young mother, that's how you are to care for, for one another. But he doesn't stop there. He uses uh, that picture of a mother as a nourisher. So being, verse 8, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Man, they were sold out to those people. And the Apostle Paul is even going to say, you were our crowns of joy. Seeing you respond, seeing you leave idols, seeing your lives change in such dramatic fashion. Oh, we just love that. We just marvel at all that God was doing in your life. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. And you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and justly and unblameable we behaved ourselves among you that believe. And as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. We want to nourish you as a mother nourishes her child and cares for her child we want to love on you so that those aches and those pains we help bring comfort to but also as a father exhorts and leads and guides and directs see this is a picture of how one another how we are to respond to one another we comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children, that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. Paul was making sure they understood. Verse 13, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as is in truth the word of God which effectively works also in you that believe. See, the word of God was working in them. They heard it. There were those sign gifts accompanying that truth. But it was the Holy Spirit that confirmed that what they were studying, what they were hearing was the word of God. 
Look at Colossians chapter 1. See, the Word of God is going to have an effect. The Word of God will always have an effect on a person's life. But you've got to hear it. You've got to share it. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Talking to the church in Colossae, Paul pretty much says almost the same thing. Let's start with verse 3. Colossians 1, 3. And we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ, Jesus, and the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is coming to you as it has into all the world, and brings forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. Folks, when you hear the word of God, it's going to have an impact. It's going to have an effect on those that hear the word of God. We know from, from the book of Isaiah that God's word will not return unto him void. We know from Hebrews 4 that, that God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword. And we should never be afraid. We should never hesitate to use God's word because it brings forth fruit is what God's word tells us. And goes on, Paul goes on talking to the church in Thessalonica about that family relationship. Look at uh, chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians. Verse 12 pretty much sums up. This whole sermon this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men even as we do toward you. In the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. Even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus uh, Christ with all his saints. Well, that pretty much summarizes that you love one another just as I've loved you. The Lord says, people are going to know you his disciples then. But you abound in love one toward another. First uh, Thessalonians 4, 9. Paul goes on. Boy, but I wish this could be said about this church. When people talk about this church, that the verse that comes to their mind is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 9. But as touching brotherly love, you don't have need that I write unto you. For you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. That's just automatic. There's no need. Paul's saying, I don't... I don't really need to talk to you about loving God and loving one another. And that's what people know about this church is who those people, you're going to get hugged, your hand's going to get shaken, you're going to feel welcomed. Those people act like they want you there. Folks, I'm telling you, that makes a difference when we have visitors. When those apartments across the street start filling up, as we go around, as we share the, the truth of God's, God's grace and His mercy here in this, in this neighborhood, and oh boy, is it needed. Is it people know that church, it loves God. And it loves everybody that walks through that door. And love them a lot. As we share, people know, boy, that's God's Word that they're sharing. They know that what they're going to hear is that which is sharper than any two-edged sword. That they're going to hear that which brings forth fruit, and people respond to that. This group of saints in Thessalonica, they were under intense persecution just as the kingdom church in Judea 
was under persecution from the Jews. This church in Thessalonica, they were under persecution from the Jews. When Paul tells them to be followers, uh, in chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 13, uh, verse 14, For you, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. The word followers there is the same word we were talking about last week. Uh, imitators, being mimics. Uh, it's the same word. Being followed, you're, you're imitating those, those churches. See, whenever God's word's going out, whenever churches are loving on one another and caring for one another and sharing the truth with one another, there's going to be persecution. There's going to be those who do not like what's being, being said. You say, well, I don't like that persecution. It's coming if you're doing something for God, if you're taking a stand for Christ, if you're loving one another the way God wants you to love one another, if you're being a church that preaches God's Word the way God wants His Word preached, there's going to be persecution. There's going to be a hindrance. And even Paul put up with that. Paul even saw that. Uh, back First Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 16, talking about those Jews there that persecuted them and, and uh, said what they were doing. They were forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sins always for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. For we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence. Yeah, they had to escape with their lives. But for you, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Wait a minute. You are the apostle to the Gentile. You're the one who's heard directly from the Lord Jesus concerning this mystery, and Satan can hinder you? i got news for you. If Satan can hinder Paul, he can certainly hinder Rick Owsley. He can certainly hinder this church. But here's the good thing about hindering. If Satan's hindering, that means you're doing something. If you're not doing anything, Satan's not hindering. You don't want to be hindered? Then don't do anything. And I don't mean that. But that's the way to keep Satan from... Why was Satan hindering them? Because he knew the truth that they were sharing. And boy, did he hinder them. But Satan hindered us. God's Word is very clear that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principality, against power. You need to understand that Satan is real... And he is active. And we need to know he's real active. That's the way he works. Now when we talk about this love, 1 John 4, 7 says that we're to love one another. Verse 11, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. We don't have an excuse not to love one another. If the love of God is in your heart, then you have to love others. You have to have a desire to see them saved. The thought of your friends and your family and your loved ones or somebody that you just met on the street is going to die and go to hell should cause you such grief and pain. Because it does God. It does God. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, there are three words in the Greek for love. Well, there's actually more than that. But three that we're primarily used to. There's eros, which is exotic, exotic love, fleshly type love. There's phileo, which is uh, friendship, you know, uh, Philadelphia is known as what? The city of brotherly love. 
<laughs> unless you've been there recently, and I'm not so sure anymore, but that's a whole other topic. So you have eros, you have phileo, and then you have agape. Which of those three words do you think every scripture that I've read about this love we're to have is the one that it uses? And let me tell you what agape love is, and then we'll be done. You know what eros is. You know what phileo is. Agape is a love that you exercise not because the object is lovely. And didn't mean to look at you, Ralph, but, but, but you're, that's what you get for sitting on the front row. Yeah, look at Chris instead. Yeah, not, not because the object is lovely. Well, I think you both love I love you both. But not because they're lovely, not because they deserve to be loved. Agape love is loving that object because they need to be loved. They may not desire, deserve to be loved. They may do rascally things. But agape love is the love that God has for us, not because we deserve it, not because we are lovely. The fact is, we're anything and everything, but, but God chooses to love us in that manner because we need it so desperately. I'm going to tell you something. It's easy to love somebody that walks through those doors whose pockets are bulging with money. I, maybe I shouldn't go there, but... It's easy to love somebody that walks through those doors that look like a movie star or a professional. You want to fill this church up? You just have one St. Louis Cardinal come. Can you imagine if, if uh, Yaddy were to come to this church and, and, and just sit in the pew? This place would be filled. It's easy to love those kind of people embrace them. But what God's love tells us to do is when the rattiest, when the most destitute, when the most unloving, and, and I'm, we used to have a lady that came here, she's passed away, that she would come and she never, ever smelled good. She, never, she would come and, and there would be issue after issue after issue and she'd sit back there and there were times when uh, just her, her bowels wouldn't work properly. And she would sit back there and there would be a mess. And Rich Finch would clean it up every cotton-picking time. You tell me the kind of love that God wants us to have. It's that kind of love that when somebody comes in and, and it is with gratitude and with thankfulness that you can clean up that kind of mess. Can I share your story, Ann? Ann's mother had dementia and had a difficult time. And there were times it would treat Ann poorly and horribly. And her mother had similar issues. And it would be, it would be deplorable of the mess that she would leave Ann to clean up. And Ann got to the, it would have been easy for Ann to say, God, why am I having to do this? Why am I having to clean up this mess? I have other siblings. Why aren't they here? Why aren't they helping me? Why aren't they doing this? She learned to be joyful and sing, and be thankful as she cleaned up that mess. Now, folks, that's the attitude that God wants us to have, that when people come here to church, they need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the truth of God's Word, that we don't look at their bank account. We don't look at their celebrity status. We look at their fact that they need Jesus, and they need to go, they need to be told of His matchless, wonderful grace. That's the kind of love that we want to have. And Ann, if I'm... And if I wasn't supposed to share that story, well, you can let me know as, as you're leaving.
See, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to demonstrate that kind of love one for another. And Paul considered this church in Thessalonica his crown. His crown. Paul waited with anxiety. He was a little bit concerned as he was writing this. He was in Athens at Mars, Mars Hill and he, he had sent Timothy, Silas, back to Thessalonica to check on them and he was writing to them saying, I am just, I'm wanting to hear from you. I want to know how you're doing. And Timothy comes and tells him, boy, they are doing great. And so Paul at Mars Hill as he's concerned about the people in Thessalonica, he sees the city of Athens all turned to idol worship, and he goes to Mars Hill where all the philosophers, the Epicureans and the Stoics, and they all gathered to talk about philosophy and, and all sorts of stuff. And he goes to them, and they see him, and they said, oh, we want to hear about this unknown God. We want to hear, we've, we've heard these things about you, and we want to hear about your own, your, own, uh, your own known God. So come and tell us. Here's the kicker about that. At that time, Rome controlled, and if you had a religious system, when they conquered you, they'd allow you to keep that system. But they didn't allow any new. See, that was a danger sign. Red light should have gone, well, I guess red lights don't do make that sound, but things should have flashed and, and sirens started going off, and I'm sure they did in Paul's mind, because when they said, we want you to come and we want, to, we want you to tell us about your own unknown God, by him telling them about his unknown God means nobody else knew about him, therefore it was a criminal activity for him to share about and so Paul said, oh, no, I can't do that. I, I'm sorry. I mean, I might get in trouble. Is that what he said? Because he loved, because he was burdened, because he was concerned, he said, let me tell you about the unknown God. And, and that's why he said, oh, and by the way, you have a statue. He was smart. You have a statue to this unknown God, which says, yeah, you're already worshiping this unknown God. Whew, got him off the hook. He was smart. And he said, this unknown God, he's your creator. This unknown kid, and it's amazing, he goes to creation. He starts with creation. And he ends with redemption. And here's what those people on Mars Hill did. And this is what someone will do every time you share the gospel. I guarantee it. Every time you tell someone that Christ died for their sins, was buried and rose again, one of three things is going to happen. If you can think of a fourth or fifth, let me know because it will add to the sermon. Okay? I need an extra couple of points. But I really think there's only three things that will happen. They will either believe and go, you're right. He is Lord. He is the true God of heaven. I do believe in Him as my Savior. Or what they did on Mars Hill, hmm, we, we want to hear more of this. They'll put you off. They'll put you off. Or they'll just reject it all, all together. Nah, I don't believe that. So they'll either accept, they'll either reject, or they'll just put you off. But you haven't died. What you've done is you've watered, maybe you've even planted, and oh, the glory, when God gives the increase. So you've got God's Word that's complete, that's powerful than any two-edged sword. That God's Word is not going to return to Him void. You have that truth. And when you go, you go in the love of God. You go and by the love you have for one another, everyone's going to know that you're His disciples. So you have power in the word and you have power in the testimony that you belong to him let's pray father 
we come before you this morning and how we love you, how thankful we are that you've looked beyond our faults and you've seen our need and you've met that need through the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we stand saved, we stand redeemed, we stand with eternal life in our future. Everlasting life being the outcome of that childlike faith, that believing that we did so many years ago. Without doubt, but with assurance. And Father, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here in this congregation who's never believed, by faith they've never trusted you as Savior, that they'll not leave this building until by faith in the quietness of this moment, the Holy Spirit speaks to their heart and they'll realize that they need you and that you and you alone are the way of salvation. That you and you alone, that there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby they must be saved. And by faith, they believe that you died for them, that you rose again. And Father, I pray this morning that everyone in this church building today will leave with the understanding that they have a mission. The words across that door out front was not there for decoration. It's there to be the last message they see as they leave this building that they're now entering the mission field. Father, burden our hearts for the lost. And Father, not just the lost, but for one another. Burden our hearts for one another and to love one another the way you love us. For we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious and most wonderful name. Amen.